Pre-diabetes. What is pre-diabetes? What does it mean? What does it stand for? And how on earth do you know you have it or don't have it? So one of my biggest pet peeves in medicine is that we wait way too long to tell people that they are diabetic. In fact, um, when I was a medical resident, first of all, obviously as a cardiologist, you do internal medicine first. Internal medicine is how you take care of adult patients. And um, one of the biggest things that we dealt with in adult patient care is actually diabetes. Diabetes is estimated type 2 diabetes. So just backing up a little bit, because I feel like people just don't understand diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is a genetic disorder. We now know that there are about 17 alleles. And if you don't know what alleles are, they are parts of your genome or you know, part of the DNA code of your body. There are 17 alleles that code for diabetes. Um, this is not debatable. This is what we know in the scientific community. Now, there's going to be a lot of people on social media that are like, no, diabetes is not genetic. You know, anybody can give themselves diabetes. That is not true. If you don't have the genes for diabetes, you could eat a million uh, jelly donuts a day and not ever give yourself diabetes. That's not a question. Um, a lot of people were shocked by this when I mentioned it on Paul Saladino's uh, program, but it's absolutely true. There's literally... There's no way you can give yourself diabetes if you don't have the genetics for diabetes. That's not a debate. In the scientific community, in the endocrine world, that is just not true. Now, can you argue that more people have these alleles than we think and maybe can give themselves diabetes by uh, eating more, not being active? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So here's, let's back up a little bit. So let's say you have the genetics for diabetes. You're 20 years old. One of your parents had diabetes. You inherited it, but you, for the most part, have had pretty normal blood sugars, never really been an issue. Now you get put on birth control uh, or steroids. You have asthma, you get put on steroids. Your blood sugars rise a little. Okay, so you may have the genes for, for diabetes, or you're not as active as you used to be. Blood sugars start going up, or you put on a little bit of weight. Blood sugars start going up. Um, let's say you are under stress, stress hormones, you know, blood sugar starts going up. Um, there's a lot of things over time that can manifest diabetes. You get pregnant. That's a huge one. Gestational diabetes brings about, uh, or uncovers early, let's say your diabetes or your propensity for diabetes. So that's definitely very important. Um, you end up with this insulin resistance or this diabetes, type 2 diabetes, you have the genetics for it, and ultimately your pancreas for, the, for a long time can put out more insulin to overcome the insulin resistance. Um, one of my mentors used to describe it to patients this way, let's say there's this door, right? You're trying to break through the door and you can't. Why? Because there's Shaquille O'Neal or some giant football player on the opposite side pushing back and not letting you through. That's your pancreas pushing against the insulin resistance. One day that person goes away or your pancreas gets strong enough or, you know, what have you, the insulin resistance is overcome. Um, eventually you become diabetic, quote unquote, because uh, you are able to break through. I don't know if that's the greatest example in the world, but ultimately it happens. 
Now, how do you know what's the prevalence of diabetes? So according to the CDC for the longest time, and it really hasn't changed much, the incidence and prevalence of diabetes is about 9% of the population, 9.1% to be exact. Some people say it's more like 10% or 11%. If you include type 1 diabetics, sure, you're looking at about 10%. Type 1 diabetes is not genetic at all. It is an immune response. Something triggers your body to just destroy your pancreas. We don't know what it is. Could be a virus, could be exposure to something. We really don't know. It's super random. It's not genetic. Type 1 diabetes does not run in families. You don't, like your mom had type 1 diabetes, you're more likely to have it. No, not at all. It's super random. We don't know. If your mom had type 2 diabetes, you are way more likely to have it. Sort of like asthma, allergies, those kind of things. Now, with that out of the way, let's not deny the science. If you don't believe in that stuff, please stop listening to this podcast. We're not going to get along. Um, That's the science behind the genetics of diabetes, right? That's not really debatable. Um, The question is, how do we uh, detect diabetes or detect it early? My biggest pet peeve growing up, you know, doing internal medicine and then eventually cardiology, and even now in cardiology, I am so adamant about treating diabetes early that myself, as a cardiologist, will start people on diabetes medications because their family doctor or the person taking care of them has not started it yet. If I start noticing their A1C creeping up, their fasting blood sugars creeping up, their triglycerides are super high, whatever it might be, I will start diabetes medications before. Now, a lot of them are also cardioprotective and it helps, you know, control their cholesterol profiles, whatever. Um, Reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular outcomes, heart attacks, strokes, all of that. I get that. So a lot of times I do that. Also, I work in more rural situations. So not all patients get to see a doctor uh, all the time. But even if they see a doctor all the time, um, there's this huge um, prejudice or push almost to not want to tell patients that they are diabetic. It's almost like we're afraid of saying the word diabetes or telling someone they're diabetic because of, you know, the consequences, like what would happen if we now told them they're diabetic. So with that all out of the way, the next question becomes, how do we diagnose diabetes early? If we are saying that we need to diagnose diabetes early, how do we do that? So there are lots of ways to do it. Some of them uh, more reasonable and doable than others. So you obviously probably already know you could do a fasting glucose and or something called an A1C. A fasting glucose gives you basically immediately what your glucose is first thing in the morning. And that's pretty good indicator that you're either diabetic or not. Um, The problem is that the cutoffs are a little bit off. A fasting glucose up to about 100 is considered normal. Um, According to myself and my mentor, who's an endocrinologist, super famous Uh, endocrinologist in Chicago, um, that's inappropriate. Most people fasting glucose, if they have zero diabetes or insulin resistance, um, your fasting glucose should be around 70. For every 10 above that, your chance of uh, insulin resistance goes up significantly or the, the chance that you have diabetes later in life. So like at 80, 85, 
you know, that's not normal. You're probably insulin resistant. And, and the problem with fasting glucose too is it's a lagging indicator. It doesn't go up right away. Um, it takes time. It could take five, 10 years or what have you. The other main way that we check it is something called a hemoglobin A1C. Now, this is also called glycosylated hemoglobin. These are um, the hemoglobins in your red blood cells. What percentage of them are glycosylated, right? Normal is around four and a half up to maybe like five, 5.2. The higher and higher it gets, the more likely you are to be diabetic. Oh, going back to fasting glucose for, for a second. If fasting glucose over 100 means you are pre-diabetic. Once you're over 126, that's when you cross over into being fully diabetic. Now, these are obviously arbitrary. Insulin resistance is a spectrum. Um, using those numbers, I feel, and many people feel in the endocrinology world, is a little bit misleading. Like, is somebody who has a fasting glucose of 89 or 92 really normal? Like, hey, you're not diabetic, your glucose is normal. No, that's not true at all. They absolutely have insulin resistance, and it's only a matter of time before they are fully diabetic. Right? So same thing goes with A1C. Hemoglobin A1C, um, up to once you hit 5.7%, we say that you're pre-diabetic. And above 6.4, so like 6.5 and up, we say you are diabetic. Now, myself and my mentor would argue that anything above 6% and you're definitely diabetic. Like, why are we waiting? Why are we giving people hope? The other um, thing that I would argue is like, literally, if you're above 5%, you're definitely insulin resistant. And 5.5, 5.6, you're just getting more and more, you know, insulin resistant slash diabetic. Now, is there ways, are there ways to detect... Um, whether or not you have insulin resistance earlier. So you don't want to wait for your fasting glucose and A1C to go up because it could take months to decades, uh, a lot of times decades. There are ways to detect it a lot earlier. And we'll go over uh, some of them. Um, there, the First of all, the gold standard for detecting insulin resistance in somebody whose blood sugars are still normal is something called a euglycemic clamp. Now, this is not a fun test. It's super invasive. We're just not going to talk about it because it's um, very, uh, it's beyond the scope of this. We're trying to keep these short and to the point. Maybe we'll go into you glycemic clamp uh, one day. But the American um, Endocrinology Society has this super long, you know, 45, maybe 50 page document on how to actually test people for diabetes or prediabetes. Um, I've linked it up in my new cholesterol book. It's a really, really long uh, document, but I highly recommend you read it. It's not overly sciencey or overly scientific. So I highly recommend that most people go back and do read that. Um, another way that's kind of easier to figure out if somebody's pre is diabetic or pre-diabetic is something called a oral glucose tolerance test, where we give you a glucose load to eat or drink, like let's say 100 grams of sugar, in the form of orange juice or some drink. And then an hour later, we check your blood sugar. According to myself and my mentor, over 140, you're diabetic, you're insulin resistant. So as long as you're under 140, you're probably fine. 
or let's say you eat a big meal. You eat a huge meal, maple syrup, pancakes, whatever. An hour later, if you're over 140, you're probably diabetic or at least you're pre-diabetic. Now, those are difficult to do because not everybody has a glucose meter or what have you. I get that. So there are a few other things that we could do to test for insulin resistance before you have insulin resistance, right? The number one, there's two things that usually go up first. Um, One of them is called a fasting insulin. I check this on a lot of my patients, um, mainly to figure out if they're insulin resistant or diabetic long before their fasting glucose and hemoglobin A1C go up. Also because I treat, uh, you know, I'm an obesity medicine doctor and a lot of the Ozempics, Wegovies and whatnot are not approved unless you're diabetic. So this is one way to prove if somebody's diabetic. And also these medications now, if you've watched and listened to me on some of my other podcasts, um, have shown to reduce cardiovascular uh, event rates by about 20%. So fasting insulin is one of them. Now in the past, the problem with fasting insulin is it hasn't been really reliable. There's been a lot of studies published that says, you know what, the assays aren't that reliable, it just kind of hard to use that. I get all that. It's gotten better now. And I feel like now um, you're, you're getting a pretty good number. I feel like right now it's, it's probably pretty accurate. Um, the other one, which I think is really cool that not a lot of people know about or do is something called uh, lipoprotein abnormalities. Um, these are what's called a lipoprotein IR. It's a score called a lipoprotein uh, insulin resistance score. And the pictures and graphics uh, of this in my new book, in my new cholesterol book, and again, I'm not trying to push my cholesterol book, but these are like some of the most fascinating, coolest pictures um, in my cholesterol book, the part about diabetes and how it affects um, your cholesterol and the lipoprotein insulin resistance score and all that kind of stuff is super cool. Um, But you'll see the lipoprotein score depends on about six Uh, different things. Um, Number one is increased uh, large VLDL particles. Number two is increased VLDL diameter. Number three is increased small LDL particles. Number four is LDL diameter. Number five is large HDL particles. And number six is HDL diameter. You use this uh, scoring system on a scale of 0 to 100, and it gives you whether or not a euglycemic, meaning a normal sugar measurement, like your normal fasting sugars and normal A1C, tells you whether a euglycemic person uh, is insulin resistant and is just as accurate or equivalent to a euglycemic clamp study. Super cool test. Um, In the book, I have the graphics of kind of like what the results look like, Um, but it'll give you all the different sizes and all the different, you know, numbers, and then you'll know if you are insulin resistant. At the end, it gives you a LPIR score, a lipoprotein IR, insulin resistant score, and zero is like you you are not insulin resistant whatsoever, and 100 is you are absolutely insulin resistant, and anywhere in between that, you are kind of uh, in between. So... Um, those are kind of the ways we use to figure out if you are pre-diabetic. Now, most of the time, if you're already diabetic, you've been pre-diabetic for, you've been diabetic for a long time or pre-diabetic for a long time. 
And we, we usually just wait way too long to treat this. Um, as clinicians and physicians, we need to get better at this. And I'm talking to you, my doctor friends. Um, please start ordering fasting uh, insulins, or if you don't really trust those, then at least get a lipoprotein IR score. Now, it is an NMR. It's a nuclear magnetic resonance uh, type scoring, which I've talked about. Um, it'll give you all kinds of things, particle counts, LDL, all this. All you really need is LDL particle count um, if you're you know obsessed with getting it right. Um, but definitely it will give you a lot of information on like total LDLs and their size and what have you. Um, but those are the ways we predict or not predict, but test for prediabetes. And it's super important to know that because it will affect outcomes. If these prediabetics are not treated early with like metformin or ozempic or something like that to get their numbers and insulin resistance back to normal, in this case, it would probably be more uh, metformin. Um, then they'll do a lot better. And the cool thing about metformin, it comes from the French lilac. Um, it's a biguanide. I think that's what it's called. Discovered in nature, natural supplement. People are always like, oh, you're never into nature. I am into nature. It's called metformin. Um, super awesome medication. Uh, prevents people from going uh, into diabetes. Uh, later in life, if you read the, di the diabetes prevention trials um, and the other... Uh, diabetes trials, you'll notice that people who are on metformin, even for a brief period of time, 20 years ago, less likely to be diabetic uh, today. So great, great medication. Highly recommend if you need it for your patients. Um, but also the other good thing is detecting uh, insulin resistance early might be motivational to your patients. Be like, hey, listen, you are heading towards diabetes. If you don't lose some weight, start putting on some muscle you know, eating healthier and eating less, uh, we're heading towards a whole host of problems. So definitely a huge motivating factor there. Highly recommend uh, you maybe start testing these things. If you like this podcast, I'm never going to run any ads on here because ads are super annoying on podcasts. The only thing I'm going to ask is that you go on iTunes and please, please, please leave me an amazing, awesome five-star review. And please share this with your friends on all of your uh, socials. I truly appreciate it. And uh, we will chat later. Love you all. Peace. Peace.